right, welcome everybody to this week's episode of the RevOps Podcast. I'm Jordan Henderson, and I'm joined today by Jonathan and Brandon, as usual. Go ahead and say hi, guys. What's up, guys? Cool. And this week, we are going to dive into what I think is actually going to be a really interesting topic, which is pricing, Um, because it is a ubiquitous thing and something that marketing, sales, customer success, your entire team has a very vested interest in, in having it be done correctly. And, and it can honestly kind of make or break your business, I think. Like it is it is sort of, 100%. One of one of those very important, important things. And so I know every episode we've ever done, I think, I've asked you guys for a definition. I'm not going to do that this week because <laughs> it feels like this would be one you get right. And I don't like that. And so, thanks, Bob Barker. That you were I told you this topic two days ago. You had that joke ready since then, for sure. Um, uh, so pricing is simply put what you're asking people to pay for your product, right? Um, the one sort of caveat to this entire conversation today that I wanted to note up front is that we have listeners in all sorts of industries. I have people messaging me from like consumer goods, industrial real estate, like all sorts of things, right? And, and so pricing is obviously a very different thing across all industries. It is ubiquitous across business as a general Generality, right? Like everybody's selling something at the end of the day. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so, uh, but today we're going to be focused on pricing in a software as a service business, pricing as pricing to a software as a service product, which presents unique challenges and opportunities. Um, my hope is that, that a lot of what we discussed today will actually bear some relation or help with the topic outside of software and, and maybe give some people like creative ideas, things that like, Hey, that I didn't know they did that in software. Maybe we should do that over here instead. Uh, maybe some of that'll be cool, but everything we're going to be talking about today, very software oriented. And we probably just lost like 20% of our listeners because they were like, oh, I don't <laughs> want to talk about that. And they've moved on. Um, Bye. but with that in mind, what I actually want to start with, <laughs> Just zero care for our listeners, for Jonathan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just, we don't want to listen. We don't want you here. <laughs> Guys, it's it's six minutes into the episodes. Let's punch the break a little bit. We don't need to, to chase everybody off. This episode's listen curve is just dropping through the floor. Like four people make it all the way through, and three of them are your parents. Um, <laughs> Hi, mom. Uh, wow, we're really off the rails today. This is, this is bad. All right, so pricing. First question, and I think this one is more fun. Uh, what what is pricing to you? Like, how does it affect your role? How do you how are you involved in it? And what are some common pricing models? And and Brandon, well, product marketing is well. Let's start with what is pricing to you in in SaaS because product marketing has always been very involved in pricing and something that I think is very interesting and maybe people don't know. Yeah, totally. Okay, so so pricing I feel like is a smaller part of monetization, right? Just your monetization totally. strategy, right? So like there's a lot of people think pricing is just your, your price points. A lot of people think pricing is what I learned in, you know, microeconomics and it's just how much people are willing to pay, but there's so much more that goes into that. And there, I mean, there's even a, actually a lot of psychology that can go into pricing that can affect how much you're able to charge and what people are willing to spend on your product. Um, and I, I think it's a lot more strategic than a lot of people think. They think it's as easy as picking a price and putting it up on the website or uh, they might do like, you know, oh, my competitors, my competitors charge this. That's what we're going to charge. Exactly. It's like at at market pricing, right? That's exactly what that is. 
or or they do penetration penetration pricing where it's th- they see what everyone else is charging, then they cut it undercut it by five percent, and I, I think that's a a very common tactic that is a, a completely terrible idea, especially if you're <laughs> a new entrant into the into the market, right? Like that's well, what everyone it's, wants it's to do. It's not based on your business, right? And we'll get into that in a little bit, I think. But it's it's not actually based on the structure and, and business plan that you have in place. Then exactly. And the the other part of that too is that the market doesn't know you, trust you, or like you yet, right? You don't have <laughs> you don't have trust. Therefore, you can't you can't undercut anyone else's price otherwise you're just going to be some cheap person out there like so so before we before we jump into like models types of pricing models and that sort of stuff the thing that i think is really fascinating and and maybe our listeners outside of of tech won't know because it's not really it doesn't really ping for somebody as like this is something that makes total sense when you talk about it i think it does but product marketing oftentimes owns pricing in, in a lot of ways right like you're actually the ones putting together pricing proposals. And it's not revenue operations doing it all the time. It's not sales doing it all the time, which it's not finance necessarily, right? A lot of times it's product marketing working with those teams, but really leading that initiative. Why? Give me the arguments for why. Because it feels a bit like you'd be like, well, why doesn't the finance team do that? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think they have the closest here on the market. Um, a lot of the stuff that they do are doing, like their, their job is to do to track your competitors, track where the market's going, track where the market's at. Um, and I, I think pricing just naturally falls under them. I've been at companies where pricing falls under sales, which is, I, I think that's that's fine. That's probably the, the second most common place where it falls. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but like, look, as, as long as sales is involved, your product marketers are involved, your finance team probably should be involved too. Some level right? of involvement from <laughs> yeah, them, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And then you know, the board's got to sign off on that, or like right. you know, there, there's there's a lot of people that are probably later stage that they yeah. get involved. It's just kind of more of a, a you know, get a final sign off. Um, but I, I think they're just closest to the market, and they they have all the data. They're always looking at the analysis of that data, um, and I think they can make the most informed decisions. Um, but a lot of people don't. Right, and, but to me, it, it's mm-hmm. always it actually makes sense to have product marketing lead the initiative because obviously the other people need to be voices in the room. But at the end of the day, product marketing their job is to you know find your market fit. And, right, and they're exactly. identifying mm-hmm. where that is. Like that's that's the sole purpose of your, your product marketing team. And so, if the price is wrong, you're not going to be able to do that. And and then everything downstream is going to fall apart as a result. Which which pricing is is super important for those things. Um, it's it's just an interesting thing because if I think if you look at other industries, it's the finance team, it's the sales team, and, and tech. It actually I've seen it be the product marketing team two or three times now at different companies. And there you go. That's quite. Quite fascinating, and I often get asked, "Why? Why is he doing this when, when that's <laughs> happening?" <laughs> it's so um, important to have a right because if you have a confusing pricing model, it is it's just a barrier to entry, and all of a sudden you're having a harder time selling your product. Yeah, if there's one thing, by the way, that anybody takes away from this episode, it is don't overcomplicate your pricing. That would be like the, the totally. one end all be all fast rule of doing pricing: don't overcomplicate it. Like if if I need a rubric to figure out your pricing, I'm not I'm not buying your product. Like yeah. It's just I'm not happening. On. Yeah, um, you have competitors; they have simpler pricing. Uh, yeah. Jonathan, Jonathan, tell me tell me what your experience working with with pricing. Have you how, how do you get involved in that process in marketing operations? 
Uh, not a whole lot. They don't really clue us <laughs> in in the price. I think that's totally fair, actually. You, you have one of the unique roles that probably doesn't have a lot of guidance and insight into that particular topic. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I'd like not, the price to be right so that we can sell yeah, more. <laughs> yeah, say, not, not to say you don't have a vested interest in the business being successful and therefore vested interest in the pricing being correct, but... But uh, your, your involvement is probably more on the back end in terms of like data and stuff, pulling for the team on request to figure out what pricing to do, I would imagine. But as, as an entrepreneur, I've had quite a few small businesses I've started up. And I will say from that experience, I've had to figure out pricing on all kinds of different things from retail to uh, just products in general. And it is difficult to come up with the right price because if you price it too high, you get scared. Okay, nobody's going to buy this because my competitors are a little cheaper or if you price it too low, can I keep going at this price and, you know, remain fluid? And yeah, it's just, it's a whole thing. Can, can we, um, Alec, our producer, this is a note for you. Can we please change Jonathan's bio to include entrepreneur, multi, multi, multiple startups? Three X founder, two <laughs> successful exits. Jonathan, <laughs> entrepreneur. Made about 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> you are, you are cut off from talking about pricing for the rest of the day. If that's how much money you made. My lawn mowing right. business. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But what, what are, so back to software in general what are some let's talk about common pricing models i mean i think the most common pricing model in software is is just recurring subscription based on seats right so you Mm -hmm. get a price per seat the more you have it's recurring subscription so it recurs at a certain price every month every quarter every year whatever that looks like and every time that happens what that means is you are actually uh the customer is deciding whether or not to renew they're they're re-evaluating your product and deciding whether or not they want to continue using it what are some other sort of like what are, what are some other pricing considerations or pricing models that you guys have worked within or, or things that you'd caveat beyond just seat count? Yeah, I see a tier a lot coming out of the gate. So tiering based on, especially a, a company with multiple products, they'll offer kind of a entry like level a tier. Feature, feature set based tiering sort mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. yeah, totally. Which can be super confusing too. Like we're our, we're evaluating a tool right now and trying to just figure out what you get and what you don't get in those tiers is a whole thing, but I get definitely get why they do it. Totally. Yeah. And, and that one's super common. I think um, like people will add in things like storage, storage volume will be included in mm-hmm. there or like as, as a diff- different pricing tier freemium models. I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about totally, freemium. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, which, which for everybody who's not familiar, freemium is the idea that you give people like a very low tier basic abilities where you get free access. You can do whatever you want. You can use it forever at the free level, but the moment you need more than three licenses or you need this feature, you have to pay a bunch of money. A lot of companies do this very successfully. They almost always get you to upgrade. Uh, we, right. we just upgraded with Rollup mm-hmm. Helper for this exact reason. <laughs> yeah, we, we may do on the freemium helper for a year easily. Yeah. And, and then we, then we were like, Oh, we need to upgrade. And now we've got like 10 more yeah. features and rollups than, than we had before. Cause we were just backing our way into using the free version. Um, well, it feels like freemium is more of an acquisition strategy than it is a monetization strategy, especially mm-hmm. these days with like product led growth. Right. Mm. I, like it, it feels like it's the new hot thing. It's like what ABM was five yeah. years ago. Well, I think yeah. it's the new hot thing everyone else is doing. Let's try to do it. And their business isn't set up to actually be able to do that, 
right? Like it, it's not yeah. a bottoms up business. Uh, users don't have any buying power and they completely screw themselves over because their, their business model is not set up for, you know, product led growth or product led experiences or whatever yeah. you want to call it these mm-hmm. days. Right. Totally. Totally. And, and I think um, like freemium typically is, is it companies that don't have like an expensive sales team. They're not spending a lot of like they have different mm-hmm. overheads. Right. So, so they don't have to have high tier prices to justify that anyway. Totally, so yeah. we'll talk about that in a little bit, but um so no matter what you do, if you, all of these, by the way, are recurring. Everything we've talked about actually is, is some version of a recurring software. But at the end of the day, that does like you've decided, all right, great, I've got a recurring business model. It's going to be we're going to shoot for annual contracts, et cetera, et cetera, right? How do we actually determine what our price is? Like, how do I sit down and say this costs eighty nine dollars a month per seat per you know per month? Like, what 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 am I doing? How am I figuring that out? <laughs> okay, where product do we marketing. Start? Product where do marketing. We start? Tell yeah. me. Where like, do we what, start? what am I doing? <laughs> this, 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 I'm waiting for you. Yeah. Well. Well. well the, the the first thing that we really and this is this is to a, a different model, which is value based pricing. Right. It's mm. it's based on the value that you deliver. It's not based on. Let, let me compare myself to our competitors, because anytime we're doing, we're comparing ourselves to competitors. I I, I think that puts you selling on your heels. Right, so I, mm. I, I want to be able to differentiate myself. I want to I want to change the conversation entirely. I don't want you to evaluate the criteria that you know the the RFP template that my competitor gave you. I want my own RFP template, right? And and that's how I win deals. So it, it's it's really figure. So value based pricing, like the the core foundation of value based pricing, is uh, you know what they call the, the the value metric, right? As your value metric goes up. Um, they get more value from that product. So some some uh, organizations, some businesses, it's it's very straightforward, right? That the more money you save, right, it, it, that money is the value piece there, right? So for some financial businesses, like it, it's pretty easy to make that connection. Um, you know, for every dollar that you spend, it's it's you know we save you ten cents on that dollar. But for software companies. Which is what we're all usually operating in. It's like one step removed from that. So whether that is seat count, or whether that is API calls, or whether that is surveys sent, or you know whatever that value-based metric is, like you you should spend the majority of your time getting that right. Because if you get that right, and you don't pay attention to anything else, you're going to do pretty well still. Right, because because expansion is based in uh, baked into that. Because stickiness of the product is based baked into that. So if we if we spend our time finding that right value metric, then we're we're, we're do, actually doing pretty well. So how do you find so that? I think is the tricky piece because customer va- value based pricing is awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I love value based pricing. Right, it, it's the in my opinion, it's the best version of software. Hundred percent. I know there's. Yeah. Competitor-based pricing. There's all sorts of things, right? I think I think there's weaknesses and strengths and all. But I think customer value-based one is the is the strongest right now and, and is is becoming more ubiquitous, to be honest. Yeah. But I think what people do wrong is is how do you actually like what are the data points that you look at to determine how much value this is providing for my customer? Am I having my sales team like quantify it when they're closing deals? Am I am I which maybe I don't have that yet because I don't have pricing. Sure. Am totally. I calling up calling up customers and asking them? Am I running models on the back end and inputting data into that based on what I estimate the value is going to be to see what that kicks out in return in, in dollars? Because essentially I need to figure out how much money I'm either saving or helping them make, right? And so how do you do it? Like, how do you do that? 
Yeah, totally. Okay, so so finding your value metric, uh, I, we'll we'll spend a few minutes on that maybe like i, I do it I, yeah i want to hear i think this is this is the thing that people don't know about like yeah, how, how totally. do you do that right. all right so to, to find your value metric um like you, you probably have an idea of maybe 10 different uh you know metrics whether that's you know seek count calls made email sent whatever that is um and then you can actually start going out and, and surveying people so you could do some sort of like mm. you know max diff survey where where it's basically like it, it, it's two questions. Um, here's this whole list of features. Um, what's the most important to you, and what's the least important to you? And you go out, you launch that. People will tell you. So you have this curve, or you have this uh, you know graph, where it's like a lot of value on one side, and then you'll have you'll have um, a lot of features or, or, or other metrics that are like no value on yeah. the other side. Right, yeah, yeah. so it, it, it's a good way to actually ask customers what those things yeah. are that they value so, so, the most. So really, the I mean, it, it's about um, I mean, man on the streeting it a little bit, right? Like totally. you are actually asking them the questions, like how much, which of these features is valuable to you, and how much value are you getting from it? D- exactly. Which. Which is a good note if you're somebody who buys tech, because you should always say, I'm getting like no value from this. Maybe they'll lower their pricing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, none of them are valuable and they're all worth $4. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so so I, I think that's really interesting, though. And, 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 and um, I, I, maybe this is wrong, but, but my, my assumption is sort of if, if you're changing pricing, if you don't have, if you have some version of pricing, but you're revisiting it because you've released new features or new products or things like that, you're probably evaluating existing customers and some totally. potential yeah. customers. Yep. And if you're just making pricing for the first time, you've probably asked a whole bunch of people to take a look at your potential product and give you feedback anyways, see if it's something that would be valuable to them just to get feedback and be product driven. Ask those same people. I guess, you know, how much, how much value would you get out of this? Not just, is this valuable, but how, how valuable is it to you? Um, and, and start to quantify it that way. Does that sound right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I have, I have no problem actually going out and like going to a Qualtrics and saying, here's the, the type of people that I want to survey. Here's the title. Here's the seniority. Now I'm going to pay for, for, oh, that's yeah, interesting. You, you can yeah. pay for these. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think that's very valid. And and that's a good way. If you, if you don't have a lot of contacts, if you are pretty new or, or if you don't know how to do it, cause you haven't done oh, it totally. Yeah. Right. Totally. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. and in that case, if you're, if you're using a Qualtrics, then have them build the survey too. Don't, don't, don't think you can try yeah. to build that survey yeah. yourself. We will, <laughs> I, we, we will. What every, so everybody go use Qualtrics. Use code Jordan at check. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, 20% <laughs> off. Get <laughs> yeah, 20% off. <laughs> we have no de- deals with Qualtrics. I wish yeah, we did. Yeah, but yeah, we do not. Awesome. Um, use SurveyMonkey. I don't care. You know, you, yeah, yeah, whatever. But, but use Qualtrics. Um, Please, Qualtrics. <laughs> It's good. It's a good product. Let's be honest. It's a good product. Um, all right, Jonathan. Anything you want to add to considerations when determining value? I think that was really helpful. By the way, even for me, that was something that you like just talking through that and you, outsourcing. It's super valuable and important. Um, Jonathan, anything you want to add to to that sort of conversation? That part of this? Yeah, I think creating demand. I think making sure that you're competitive. You're you're in a place where people will want to pay that to get it. So they have to understand what they're getting out of it. So I think you have to really understand that facet you also have to really make sure that your pricing is good for the business that you're going to be able to continue to grow make more money as a business hire more people to support that product 
be able to pay for the underlying overhead that maybe the product relies on, whether it's hosting or things like that. So there's a lot of things you got to factor into it. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's, there's tons of things when I'm looking at value, like you, you of course need to balance that with other considerations, right? Like business decisions and like marketplace, customer, competitor stuff, like all that, while it shouldn't determine your pricing, I think still has to be considered. Like th- things that I would consider is that your sales model has to match your pricing. So once you've, once you've determined your value and you've figured all these things out, and let's be honest, if they tell you your value is $19 a month per user, right? Like it's some, some pretty low dollar amount and you have a really expensive sales team and a really expensive marketing team, that's not going to line up. Like you, you, you need your pricing to line up in a way to, to, offset the costs of your sales teams and your marketing teams and your entire business model. If you have a high CAC and an expensive sales team, you need higher pricing and to justify it, to create a higher LTV. So you can create a higher LTV, which means your product must provide enough value to support the price. So then you have to go back and work on your product. And that's where I think when we circle all the way back to why everybody says they are now product led, you know, (laughs) product growth led (laughs) companies like, well, you always have been right. You you always had to be right. Like, yeah. Cause at the end of the day, I can't price, to just support my two teams if I have a product that doesn't support that value. Like that, that's, that's the end of the day, most important thing. What, what, um, so let's say this. So you, you've, uh, you've, you've revisit, you've reached, released a whole bunch of new features, new products. You've decided to revisit your pricing. You've come up with your customer value. It matches perfectly over to, you know, the, the LTV that you need to create to support your financial model, your sales team, your marketing team. You're super happy with it. So you've got your pricing packages in place. What other things would you recommend doing like as a part of your pricing to to actually create future to, to, to benefit the company in the future? And the, the sort of low hanging fruit one that that I would use as an example is is tiering to create upsell opportunities. Right. Like I would mm-hmm. always create my pricing in a way that sets the company up to have upsell growth organically. So I'm not having to pursue upsells as much. That money is coming in. Now, obviously, I want to close more at the start if I can, like entry level. But organic upsells are super powerful and a huge piece of your business. So I would always set up my pricing in order to to sort of t- tailor towards additional upsells. Are there other things that you would think about when setting that up? I'd say barrier to entry as far as just even making payments. Some people just make it really difficult to get that contract across the finish line. So having the right mechanisms in place so that the contracts can go back and forth fluidly. People are approving it. And and that's a big one. I've seen a lot of stuff stop just because of how painful that process was of getting that payment. That's fair. And and as it pertains to pricing, sort of like if your entry is a hundred thousand dollars for all customers, that's a pretty high barrier for a lot of businesses to come in. But if you have a lower level, lower entry point with high growth opportunities, it, it might result in more customers. By the way, it might not. Cheap isn't mm-hmm. always mean better. That, mm-hmm. That's also very, very true. Cheap cheap often doesn't result in more customers, but um, it's definitely a thing I would keep in consideration, but probably, in my mind at least, like somewhere down the list, mm-hmm. I think. Like, it, it's important, but maybe maybe not. If, if, if that's a problem, then I'm not value selling enough. You know what I mean? Like... Like if, if we're having a hard time getting it through because of pricing, then then I either am not providing enough value for it or I'm not selling the value well enough or I'm not marketing the value well enough. Like something is running amok there that, that's preventing us from getting in there otherwise, if I know my pricing is right. Hmm. 
Yeah. Well, go go back to if we know our price it is right real quick. So so I think there there are some some surveys that you can do for that as well, um, like price sensitivity surveys. Um, like the, you're just all over the surveys today. <laughs> I, dude, I want to be I want to be as data driven as possible. Yeah, yeah my, no, I, I love surveys, this. All right, know? so but 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 tell us what's the pricing sensitivity survey? Tell me about this. I love this. Yeah. Okay. So so probably the most. The most well-known one out there is uh, Van Westendorp survey, um, and, and I know companies like Profitwell have their own version of you know the the Van Westendorp, um, but but it it's it's basically asks you a few questions. I mean, the Van Westendorp is two questions, um, but the, the, there are others out there that are four questions, um, and you're just basically asking um, people uh, like. What is the most they're willing to pay? What's the least they're willing to pay? Some other versions of that are: What's the most you're willing to pay, um, or what? What at what price point does it now sound like a cheap product, right? So there, there are a lot of different uh, versions of these price sensitivity surveys. But then you end up with a graph, and then you have kind of this this sweet spot in the middle, and then you have to figure out from there. Where in that sweet spot do we want to land? But it's really going to narrow your 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 band of pricing down. Um, and I, I I always want to use data to to back up my pricing. So so that's one. There's there's also um, a uh, what's called a Gabor or I've I've heard it pronounced Gabor. I've, depending on <laughs> what the guy's actual nationality, Gabor Granger uh, survey. Yeah, and and there's a few things wrong with this too, but uh, like. Um, you're, you have 10 people and you say, the price is this. Uh, and then you ask them, are, are you willing to pay? All 10 raise their hand. All oh, right. and you ask 10 more and 10 more. And at what point do they like, fall off? Right. Yeah, exactly. That exactly. Yeah, that, yeah. That's exactly yeah. it. And then yeah, you can like actually. $5 more, $5 more, $5 more. Where do you start to waterfall? It, that's exactly it. Yep. Um, and... I love that. That's, that's brilliant and simple. Everybody go do that. <laughs> well, here's the problem. <laughs> yeah. Here's the, here's the problem with that. that. <laughs> it's, it's like people have declared preferences. They say, yeah, sure. I, I would pay that. And then you're like, okay. Let's pay it now, and they're like, "Yeah, well, you know what? Look, yeah. Maybe later." <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So their their declared preferences versus their actual revealed per- like what they actually would pay for. Um, I I really do like that the Gabor Granger um, survey. Well, it exists. It obviously exists in a vacuum, right? So exactly. Like, exactly. Because they're not actually paying you that money. It's not their business actually absorbing those costs, and so they're like, "Well, yeah, it's that valuable. Well, yeah, it's that valuable." Until <laughs> totally. It, it, until they actually have to pay it. So. <laughs> And and it's impossible to ask them. It's like playing it's like playing poker with pennies. Yeah, like, yeah. You exactly. go all you go all in a whole lot easier, right? Then, <laughs> than if you're play, playing with thousands of dollars. Yep. Well, the, the next part of that Speak is well, then, then then go create a um, a pricing page and start sending people to that actual page. So yeah. I love that. By the way, I love transparent pricing pages. I yeah, think that's like totally. the greatest, mm-hmm. greatest shift that's happening in the market right now is just I can go to your website and find pricing. Because by the way, as a sales, you know, if you're a salesperson and somebody sees the pricing online and then still signs up for a demo request, 
that pricing is not going to be an objection. Right. That is cut out of the equation, right? Like we, they know it. They know what it is before they've come in. So, so obviously they're still very, very interested in what you can provide them. And, and your job then is to sell that value. Um, exactly. The worst thing but I love is that. coming into a deal and you assume it's like around a certain price and then you start talking and it's like astronomically higher than you would have ever expected. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. That sticker totally. shock will just Totally happens. You. So, so one thing, uh, w- when we post this, when we publish this episode, I want to, Brandon, let's make sure we include two links to some of these resources you're talking about. Cause I think those are really interesting for, for people and, 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 um, we should have some offline conversations internally probably. About that. <laughs> totally. um, but, but, um, there's one other thing that I hate in pricing, by the way, that happens. And I think it's worth talking about for a brief moment. Last minute services costs. How do you guys feel about certain, like, at the finish line, oh, by the way, implementation costs this much, ongoing support costs this much, here's an extra $15,000 in contract cost. That is the worst. I see, I see just awkward yeah, smiles. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just like uh, sneaking price in at the last minute, and it's yeah. it's got to be up front. You've got to put that stuff up front. Totally. I mean, and also, you've got to decide whether or not your product even warrants it. Yeah, right? yeah, like, totally. like if your if your product it, it's sort of a catch twenty two, but if your product has great UI and and you it's very user friendly and it does something really powerful and easy, it's gonna be really hard for you to charge for support and service, right? Like they they, they don't need your support and service. You have built a tool that's self serve, and and therefore like they don't want to pay for that. And so when you ask them to, they're gonna be more upset. They're paying you for nothing. Totally. At the end of the day, like just roll it into your seat price. Exactly. Like, why, why keep it in that? Like the ongoing support charges, like just put in your seat price if they don't need it. Well, I, like, if it's valuable enough, people are paying it, then you're undercharging per seat. Well, I, I'll tell you, like I, VCs like to see that extra. I know. You know, it's, I know. I, I remember the first. The, yeah, the, it's shifting away, though. It is. It is shifting I, away. I, I will agree. That is. But I remember the first time. I mean, this is a long time ago, but I yeah. was talking to someone. Well, we need 10 percent of your revenue to come from services yeah exactly exactly i was talking yeah. to i was talking to someone at uh uh like one of the early marketo guys you know head of mark head of uh sales at marketo and he was like yeah you know we were man we got 20 percent uh, of our revenue yeah. came from service and, and he, like he was bragging <laughs> about that and that, the, the yeah. first thing that struck me was like do you really need that much services for people? yeah yeah <laughs> but for for marketo yeah yeah, yeah probably right, yeah, that makes yeah. sense yeah, yeah. i mean they, they, they can do yeah, but like the, the other piece of that, though, is it's not recurring revenue. As somebody yeah, in exactly. revenue operations who's trying to grow our business from a recurring revenue standpoint, recurring, because recurring revenue is infinitely more valuable than one-off revenue. Yeah. Like it really, really is. And so I, that's why if, if every deal is paying you $5,000 for implementation at the onset and you're charging $5,000 for the software, charge $8,000 for the software and don't charge for the yeah, exactly. you will, you will ha- You will increase your lifetime value of your customer because $8,000 is recurring. You get two years, that's $6,000 instead of five for that amount of money, right? Mm-hmm. And so all you do is renew them once, and there you go. You've made an extra $1,000. If you renew them twice, you've made an extra $4,000, right? Like If you're doing that successfully every single time and nobody's objecting to it, that's fine. Recurring revenue is is god in software it really so is, totally. so exactly. that would be my nudge despite what some vc might tell you and yeah. despite some vc will probably send me a scolding email for this conversation <laughs> but but i i i hate the idea of like I we need too. to get 20 percent from services no way yeah it's it's crazy and the the uh 
the whole you'll always have to give the argument of like, well, we're just investing in making sure you're successful when you're trying yeah, to exactly. sell them services. <laughs> like, no, you're not. Like, come on, you're just trying to make some money. Um, <laughs> if you are, if you're that invested, you'll do it for free. Is is the answer. Um, all right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of succinctly try to summarize the the multitude of things we just went through uh unless you guys have any other final thoughts i i do i do have a few more thoughts all right all right all right a few more multiple <laughs> more <laughs> this, i knew this was going to be a brandon Redlinger heavy day. <laughs> I, I, I know it's like man, I have so much to talk about in this episode. <laughs> I, that's, that's why i was really excited about this topic actually for what it's worth like i think this is such an interesting topic because it's so cross-functional and a lot of people haven't been exposed to doing it before so totally um, Final thoughts. Okay, hit, so, hit, us, hit them with. So packaging. So the, like, there's pricing, mm. but then there's actual packaging. I think if you get packaging proper or, or right, you, you, it could have exponential returns on your business as tell, well. Tell let's let's uh, tell people what you mean by that. Right. So if if I have a few different products, bundle them together, um, and then uh, honestly, it could even be as far as what I actually name them. What 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 are add-ons to that? Wildly important. Totally, what you percentages wildly important. Yeah, and and then so there's so there's let, let's start with I, I, I'm a big fan of Profit Wells. Like uh, uh, I think they call it the value matrix, where it's um, on, on one axis you have the the value that someone gets, and then the, you have willingness to pay on the Y, and then on the the high value low or yeah high value low willingness to pay. That's your core product, right? That's like mm. email marketing, you know, uh, marketing automation saying, you know, we do landing pages, uh, we do email tracking, we do reporting. Like that, that, that is the core product. And then you have um, high value, high willingness to pay. Th- those are your differentiators. Then you have low, uh, lower value and, and high willingness to pay. Those are your add-ons. Um, and then you have the the bottom left low value low willingness to pay. That's that's just the the trash. That's products. just people you're never gonna sell that's, people. To. Like, yeah, yeah, that's that's just trash. Don't right worry about that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Just throw them away and ignore them. <laughs> exactly. So I, I think that's how you can think about the different features in your product. Um, and then I think there's um, there's actually testing your different packaging. So mm. I, I think one of the 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 good probably more popular ways to test packaging is like a, a conjoint analysis. And that's, that's basically um, a bunch of different variations of your packaging and asking people, here's one, here's another, what do you prefer? And then you swap yeah. out one little detail. Here's one, here's another, what do you prefer? Swap out another detail. Here's one, here's another, which one do you prefer? And um, I, again, I have no problem with paying to get more data and to get more respondents to these surveys because it gives you great insight into what the actual proper packaging uh, and bundles should actually be. Because I think, it, again, if you get that right, that's another value unlock for your company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, just to sort of like summarize that, one of, one of the key things you're mentioning is, is uh, identify the value per feature so that when you go into packaging, if, if you have something that's in the high value but low willingness to pay, that's probably in your base pricing because you want to drive value there, right? That's your base package. And if you have something that's high value, high willingness to pay, that's in your enterprise tier because yeah. people are willing to pay a whole <laughs> bunch of money, right? Like you're using that to bucket like how much I'm going to ask them to pay for these things. Exactly. Or or you could put it like d- depending on your 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 pricing 
strategy. All right, so so. Jeez, this is another, <laughs> this is a whole nother. <laughs> We're going to have to do a whole other episode on this. No, no, I mean, I think this is, I think this is a two-parter. I think we've decided it's a two-parter for sure. But yeah, maybe it's a, yeah, definitely two-parter. But like, why are you packaging the way you're packaging? Is it to maximize margin? Is it to, to maximize profit? Is it to, um, is it to take the most market share? Is it to get the most users that the, the like it actually starts is it, with is that. It, is it to increase your LTV? Is it to create organic upsells? Competitive like the, parity. There's so many yep. competitive parity. Yep. There's so many reasons to consider here. Like it, it starts there. You make that decision and then you figure out how you actually price, how you uh, actually maximize that. So w- w- I like that. We actually should have yeah. started there. <laughs> we should. We, <laughs> we should. Well, well, well that, this is a note for everybody. Start there. Start, start there. Like yeah. why, are, why are you packaging the way you're packaging and then back everything into that, how you would do it, and then figure out the value and create your pricing. Right, exactly. Yeah, honestly, that, 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 that's where we're, the process we're working on. It's sort of like when John Miller walked us through how he would roll out an ABM plan with accounts. It's sort of working backwards from what you might think it would be. Exactly, but yeah. It, it totally works. Um, so I, I, I love that. I, I think the, probably the, the two best tips that I have is, yeah, one, know that what why are you trying to price the way you're pricing like what's the what's the objective and then to get your value metric right and i think if you totally. do those two things like i think you'll you'll do pretty well yeah yeah those i mean those things are very hard to do so yeah, if you do those true, two things well you'll, you'll do very well <laughs> jonathan any last thoughts before i sort of take a, take us on home to the final topics um, I can't think of any last thoughts. I think you guys covered it. This is uh, my least knowledgeable subject. <laughs> uh, I like that you own that, though. Like I've, I've seen you sitting here, kind of like wide eyed, like uh, nodding, like "Oh, that's really smart." Like I like that. You just, like, you know, we're, we're here to learn too. This is, that, this is sort of part true. of it, right? Like I learn from you guys every week, and you'll never hear me say that again. Um, <laughs> I, I do like the psychological aspects of pricing. So, like the making it 99 cents until instead of the dollar and just charm pricing. Yeah, exactly. Like how you lay it out on a page will kind of make you realize one's a little bit of a better value than the other stuff like that. It's really cool. Yeah. But I'm more of a marketer on that side. I don't have a lot of a in-depth pricing. (laughs) So, so if I, if I, I'm going to try to summarize up, a whole bunch of our takeaways. There's a lot here, by the way. This is our meatiest topic. It might be. <laughs> yeah. Um, so some high-level takeaways. Number one, don't overcomplicate pricing. If you have too complicated pricing, it won't work out. Two, value-based value based pricing, it's it's the real deal. Like At the end of the day, I think we all agree that that's it's, it's awesome. Go with value-based pricing. Figure out how to do that appropriately. A third one, don't customers don't care about your costs, to be honest. Like that it goes back to value-based pricing. Yeah. If you're like, what it costs us this much money, they don't care. That doesn't justify value to customers. They don't care how much your data storage costs are. Like, why would they? They they care about how much value they're getting out of your product. Um, they do care though about your competitors' prices. Because if they can get similar value from somebody that's charging them half as much, that's a problem for you. Mm-hmm. Always consider whether your product support warrants services and support costs. Yeah. It probably doesn't is, is my conclusion for most products. Um, packaging is equally important to pricing and more important to start there. 
cheap doesn't always result in more customers. And this is the final one, which is, I think, the most important thing. And we haven't said it out loud. Surveys and data are incredibly important in pricing. Take your time. Survey everybody. Ask all the right questions. Contract somebody like a Qualtrics. Boom, Qualtrics. Seven, <laughs> yeah. uh, contract somebody like them and get it right because changing pricing is hard. And it's also fundamental to making your business successful. And, and I'll also point point people to price intelligently or profit well or whatever they, they go by these days. Uh, I'm a big yeah. fan of their, their, um, uh, their services as well. Totally, totally. Did, did that cover it all? That's like nine takeaways of like, <laughs> yeah. things to do. So <laughs> Next time we'll hit on charm pricing yeah. and decoy pricing and yeah. discount we're gonna, strategy, We're going to not do pricing for like three more months because yeah. I sat in silence way too much this episode. I don't like it. <laughs> I, I, I love this episode. I didn't have to listen to Jordan. <laughs> Brandon had a field day. <laughs> Uh, all right. So with that in mind, I want to segue us into our final topic, our final thing. As usual, it is time for This Week on LinkedIn. I'm loving this, by the way, everybody who listens to the podcast. I'm getting a lot more questions on LinkedIn. Please continue to submit them to me. I, I think that's like the greatest thing. This is my favorite segment uh, by far for what it's worth because it, it sort of changes every week. It's new. It's fun. And it's exciting. And also the audience gets to you know kind of participate a little bit. And maybe we'll figure out ways in the future for them to participate more, like drop in asking the question, um, which would be pretty sweet, right? Hell yeah. Um, Hint, hint, audience. Um, <laughs> so somebody, somebody was listening to our podcast and actually asked a question that is wildly unrelated and, and probably something a lot of people ask. How do we all work together and or not work together? And what is our overlap between the three of us, which we've never talked about? I thought I was like, oh, that's a, that's a really good question. We probably should have covered that, like, I don't know, in the first episode. Um, but, I mean, the short answer is I try not to. Uh, but <laughs> try to stay away from Jordan as much as possible. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a great question. Uh, and, and I'm going to take a first crack at answering it but the uh, I work with Jonathan super super closely we probably work on the same projects three to four hours a day we meet every single day um, for 15 minutes in the morning to to sort of plan on our days talk about what what my team sales ops and, and CS and, and that stuff is working on with marketing operations and make sure that we're aligning all those things so that anything either of those teams are doing any of those teams are doing is not overstepping or breaking something for the other teams we, we literally meet daily to make sure that that's true um, and and I think Jonathan and I usually are messaging each other from like, well, like 10 a.m. when Jonathan wakes up to like <laughs> 7 p.m. Um, <laughs> about about things like that. So work super, super close together. And then Brandon and I aren't to that degree spending six hours a day together, but we probably talk pretty much daily about different things and sort of stay lockstep on a lot of it. We have probably a little less overlap, but we're, we're in a more of like the leadership meetings and doing some of those things and, and making like directional business decisions and, and implementing a lot of different things, whether it be from demand gen, product marketing, content marketing, all sorts of stuff, um, rolling it over to the sales teams. In a lot of ways, I feel like you're doing a lot of stuff on the marketing side, and I'm kind of a lightning rod for, for sales and CS yeah. for you a little bit sometimes. <laughs> well yeah. said, well said. Well, well yeah. actually, one question that I got on LinkedIn is, is I mean, kind of related. It's what we're talking about already. Um, one person asked me, why, why, it, why do you have RevOps and marketing ops separate? So, and how does that work? So, Jonathan, do you want to, do you want to jump in on that one? That's a good question. It is a very good question. Um, I mean, it could go either way. I think, especially marketing ops, it's typically a support role for the marketing team. So, 
first and foremost, I'm here to support marketing if I'm in the marketing department. Whereas I think there could be some different companies might have different viewpoints on it. But if I'm not reporting up through marketing, if I'm reporting up through ops, some companies might have an issue with that because a lot of companies are siloed off. So if you're reporting up through a different structure, you can't really, you might not support marketing as well. So I think that's one argument for reporting up through those, marketing ops. Those companies are wrong. And <laughs> yes. it, 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 it can't, and it can't go both ways. I'm totally, I'm totally disagreeing with that because we, we also have a sales ops person, right? So that's we true. have sales yeah. ops, mark ops and revenue mm-hmm. operations. I think it is incredibly important to have those functions be able to focus solely on supporting a team that's going to need a lot of support, frankly. Not, 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 not to say that Jonathan doesn't jump over and help with sales or CS from time to time, or, or Matt, who does sales ops, doesn't jump over and help with marketing from time to time. But it isn't very important for them to have essentially like a bit of blinders on and supporting that team while also having somebody whose job it is to make sure that those teams are aligned so that I can make sure that Matt and Jonathan are aligned on everything they do. And they are, they're incredibly aligned. I think, I think they're, we used to live in a world where marketing operations, sales operations, customer success operations all existed within their own silo and never communicated. RevOps is actually solving that problem at the end of the day. Like that's, that's, so, so yeah, the function is going to, I, I think in the best version of it, I think those functions continue to exist and somebody is in charge of making sure those functions are aligned. Like that's, that's what we're doing here. And anybody who tells me ladder can shoot me an email or LinkedIn and argue with me. I'm going to tell you you're wrong. And I'm, and I'm passionate about this because, well, it's my job. Yeah. So <laughs> if, if, if I lose that argument, I lose my job. So, <laughs> uh, but, it, but it is a great question. Anything you guys want to add in terms of like how we work together What's or to that for what it's worth? Like, uh, what I think the other thing that we do, quite touch out is how, how Jonathan and I work Yeah, how do you together. and Jonathan work together? I don't even know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Jonathan and I are in a lot of meetings together, uh, both like marketing strategy, but also technically executing a lot of things. Um, so, I, I mean, I talk with him quite frequently these days. So, um, I mean, probably... I don't know. Maybe not as much as you and him. Talk. Yeah, you and him probably talk. Uh, we we talk all day, all day. every day. <laughs> yeah, you have no idea. <laughs> if there's if there's if there's like a, how many messages you send per person, like marketing ops, sales ops, rev ops are like easily the three of us. The top. Yeah, of the yeah, list. that's, that's like, probably true. That's yeah. probably true. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, and then obviously Alec, our producer, he's our producer. That's how we work with him. But he also does a bunch of our content strategy and pushes things on our, our social media selling approach, which you guys listen to social selling episode. He, he talks a lot in that one. Um, but, but we, we all work super closely with Alec on a bunch of that stuff. He produces and pushes our stuff for editing and pulls video clips for our socials and does all sorts of basically managing what, what is the equivalent of three children making a podcast. So, um, <laughs> so we wouldn't be here without him. Yeah, that's that is true. very true. It's very true. Um, cool super helpful any other last thoughts guys no I think is this the longest episode we've done I feel like this is the longest episode we've done so far it really it really it really drug on it might it might (laughs) we'll see how many (laughs) well we're gonna have to do some surveys hit up Qualtrics how valuable was this content to them today how many people are still listening right now yeah yeah if you're still listening to this and you email Brandon he will take a meeting with you to see your product (laughs) (laughs) just just reference just reference code Brandon 098 and yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> You're legitimately going to get emails for that. Um, <laughs> Alex said we work for him, by the way. <laughs> All right. With that in mind, thanks, guys. I think this was an awesome episode, and we will see everybody ne- next week. See you next week. Adios.